On this episode of the Hook Podcast, we've got Paul Worsling. This is one of those episodes that you don't want to miss. So sit back and enjoy episode five of season three on the Hook Podcast. So this episode of the Hook Podcast, we've got Paul Worsling, the uh, world-renowned master and, and commander of iFish TV um, and obviously Tackle World. So welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. I cannot wait. Uh, exciting times. Sorry, my wife's just poking her head in the door. The podcast is working. Now, I'll, I'll start by saying... I might be good at fishing. Well, okay, but computers are not my thing. And we discussed before we hit the go button, I do have a few technical issues. I'm the sort of guy who I try to turn the TV on and the garage door opens. Last night I had a bath. It was so cold in Melbourne. I had to have a bath, right? So I'm in the bath and I always want a TV in the bathroom. So I jump in the bath and <laughs> I can't work the TV. So I end up watching SBS Food from England with volume on the other TV in the other room as loud as I could because I couldn't make it work. So that'll give you an idea of my technical abilities. And that's why my wife just poked her head in the door. But I got the thumbs up. We're good to go. All right. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, we should be we should be pretty right. Absolutely. So um, let's start with with the background, mate. Obviously, iFish has come a long way and evolved and and you yourself have evolved throughout the years with your with your f- fishing career. So what actually was the big lure to getting into the fishing career and how did it all come about how long have we got <laughs> as long as you want to talk mate we, we, we can we got all night I'll, i'm going to try and sum it up so uh, when i was a kid i grew up on a farm and we were we were fairly poor i was the youngest of five my parents immigrated from holland so we didn't have very much so i spent a lot of time outside literally i was the youngest of five they were at school i was literally playing with myself i would i would climb trees i would look at birds i would i would cast things into the dam, just do anything I could to amuse myself, play with my trucks in the dirt. And I was always fascinated by animals because on a farm you see calves being born, we had chickens and pheasants and I had pigeons. So I was just fascinated by wildlife. So we had a dam and we put like 200 trout in it this big. That's about uh, four and a half inches in the old scale. And we never saw them again. And I now know that you've got to know if the dams can actually take trout, too much calcium, too much so they obviously all died, the birds ate them. So I fished that dam so many times, never got a damn fish. And uh, I was lucky enough, an uncle took me fishing. We went down to Inverloch when I was a kid and caught a few mullet with rods we made of bamboo and a little bit of line on the end. And, and then it got to grade six, and I was still just pumped about this whole fishing thing. But no one ever take me. So I've been fishing once in my life, but I knew everything. There was one book in the school library I'd worn out the pages. I just read. I could tell you everything. I was a textbook fisherman. And then literally in year seven, we had a thing called activities week at high school, which they don't do anymore. And I reckon they should. And you got to pick the thing you wanted to do for the week. And there was like athletics camp. There was out uh, engineer, cooking. You just go and do fun stuff for a week. And 
I was put on the athletics camp because I was actually telling my boy today, even though it might be hard to believe, I was a bit of an athlete in my day. They just put me straight in because they wanted to send me off to the States and play other schools and stuff. And there was also a fishing camp. And I put my thing into fishing. And I never even got chosen. I got straight to the athletics camp. And I, I'm not too embarrassed to admit that I actually cried. And I went, to the, I went to the vice principal. His name was Neville Powell. And uh, I bumped into Neville about four years ago in Sydney, which is really cool to catch up with him. And I'm in tears. He said, what's wrong, Paul? I said, I don't want to do athletics. I do that every weekend. I want to go fishing. Neville pulled a few strings. He was also my PE teacher, really good bloke. And I got to go on this fishing camp. And it changed my life, literally. I, I caught a, what was it, a first day, Port Phillip Bay. You'd know Port Bay fairly well. Rosebud, it was $8 to go on the fishing charter. Yep. And I caught four flathead. They're all about 28 centimetres. The sinker I was using weighed more than the flathead. It was embarrassing. And I almost didn't have enough line to reach the bottom. We're in 21 metres of water, 20 metres of line, and the rod tipped down. Caught four flathead, cleaned within an inch of their death. I think by the time I finished cleaning them under the hose with a knife, there was nothing left but bones. But to me, that was the first fish I could actually remember catching, and it just changed me. And then I caught a trout up at Blue Rock Lake, went to the trout farm, and... Um, from that moment, I was just, that was the catalyst I needed to do more and more and more. So I won't bore you with too much more, but joined a fishing club and uh, with a, a bloke moving across the road, didn't have a son. He started taking me fishing. We've become pretty good mates. Uh, I was about 14. He was 35, but we were best. He taught me how to catch snapper in the bay, took me under his wing, joined a fishing club. That evolved. A bloke at the fishing club called Greg Duncan opened a tackle stall. I was working at Kmart in Cram in the garden section at the time, but moved to sporting goods because I want to sell fishing rods. That's another long, long story. But I sold the manager a fishing rod. He moved me, bang. And then I ended up leaving Kmart when I was 15, the first job. I left it to get a job at Cram and Bait and Tackle, it was called. And my dad said to me, I'm not sure about this, Paul. You're leaving a very steady income. It was like $3.50 an hour with a multi-corporate. And you go to a small business. You never know what's going to happen. I said, Dad, I really want to do it. And he said, okay, do it. So I ended up going to cram and bait and tackle. I was on five bucks an hour. I used to ride my bike to work, put it in the shower at the back, do my shift and then ride my bike home. When I started there though, I actually didn't get paid. I just worked there for the joy. I still worked at K. I was running two jobs and eventually felt sorry for me gave me a job. So I eventually went on to buy that business when I was 22. And as I was working in the fishing industry, this is a very long answer. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to oh, cram. all good. Because I was working in the fishing industry, and I loved it. I started doing a little bit of radio on a Sunday night. I started writing for some local newspapers, just trying to get more out of this thing that I love. That was all I just wanted to be involved. And then I won the uh, junior championship at the fishing club when I was 16. The following year, I became the first person ever to win the junior and the senior title back-to-back, which was pretty cool. Changed my life in a lot of ways. Not all good, not all bad. And then, yeah, I got doing more of the stuff and writing fishing articles. And I still remember the day that I got a job as a staff writer for Southeast Fishing. So I'd get paid. Every month they paid me and then I had to write stuff as well. It was just amazing. I think I was getting 20 bucks a page. So I was killing the pig. Then I went on to modern fishing, fishing world, did all that sort of stuff, caught a big fish, which I wrote an article about. Anyway, I eventually bought this shop and I realised that for it to be bigger than just a corner store, I needed to be bigger than just the corner store. I needed to be out there everywhere so people from the other side of the Melbourne, the other side, would want to come and see the shop. And I had this idea that could almost become a tourist attraction where people would travel because they wanted to see me. No one else could have me. No one else could employ me. No one else could afford to employ me if I actually got to my goal because you couldn't afford to pay. So, So I can't afford, like, 
I can't afford a big celebrity, so I've just got to try and get bigger and bigger and bigger to get more known, to get people to do it. That's all it was about. So I thought to myself, I'm writing all these fishing articles, I'm doing radio every night. I thought to myself, if I can do half an hour of television, that's got to be worth a 1,000 fishing articles because everyone gets to see it. And to write one fishing article, arduous task, like we're talking a week of work. So I just started pestering people. I started pestering Rex Hunt, Andrew Anyhausen, just in those days you sent them faxes. That shows how long ago it was. As it turned out, it's a long story, and I'd love to tell you over a verb one night, but basically through chance and through always just putting your best, just playing with a straight bat again and again and again, the opportunity came up and I went out filming with ET and uh, filmed my first episode of television ever, which was just couldn't believe it was happening. I was stoked and uh, I did okay. I actually took him fishing on Western Port for elephant fishing, got a spine stuck in my arm and ended up in the emergency department that night, but we still did really well. And literally the next week I was off filming with Rex Hunt and I, I do, do believe to this day that Rex was watching what I was doing and then all of a sudden he saw me filming with opposition. He thought, I'm going to grab this kid while I got the chance. It's human nature. You want what you can't have. So that then turned into four years as co-host on his television show, which was a pretty epic learning period. I call it my apprentice apprenticeship to this day. And then that all finished. He had enough. And we came up with this concept for this little fishing show called I Fish. And 20, well, nearly 20 years later, 585 episodes later, we're still giving it a crack. Yeah, so I, I did a little bit of research before we did the, the podcast. So it's actually 20, 26 years, I think it is. There you go. From the research that I found. And it, it's been interesting. So I've been pretty lucky as a kid to sort of grow up with, with people like yourself, Lee Rayner, E.T., Rex. I, I actually met Rex Hunt down here at Port Phillip Bay. I won a, a snapper comp down there. I had a hairstyle that we won't even go into. It was it was very loose. And Rex made a good comment of it. And to this day, that's how I remember Rex getting my trophy and him making a, a pretty bold statement about my haircut. But anyway, so I've grown up with with your show and, and seeing, I suppose, the growth of yourself and how things have happened. And it's been really, really interesting, especially from especially in today's age i guess with youtube all the new social media platforms have you found that that's had to change the direction in and the way that you now promote stuff or are you still pretty pretty elementary in the way that you're doing things it's it's actually interesting i i would say i don't think we've changed the way we do it but i'm at a point now where my boy's 15 and we watch a bit of youtube and he asked me about photos he sees on the computer on the wall he goes hey that trout dad where'd you catch that and I go, that was a knife fish episode in we're at Millbrook Lakes in night, and we find it on YouTube, watch it together. Yeah, how yep. awesome is that? That you can actually say to your son, you, you want to see a memory? Bang. And that's happened so much the last year. And it's been one of the true joys of my life is being able to tell my boy the story and then show him how it happened. So I'm seeing some of these episodes, and I've got to say, some of them I see him, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I look back and go, that is so terrible. What were you thinking wearing those shorts? My God, get a haircut, you bogan. So I think the lovely thing about people, no matter what age you are, what you do for a job, we evolve and learn. And you don't realise this is happening, but all of a sudden you turn around, I'm 48 years of age, I'd want to be doing better at a lot of things than when I was 22. That's just life. You get smarter. And what I'm really, really proud of is that I reckon iFish was bloody great back in 2000 and 
five, but I reckon it's freaking awesome in 2022. And you've got to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. And if I look back at my first shop when I bought it, if I walked in there today, I'd be embarrassed. Like the carpet was brown, secondhand. Mice used to run across the floor from the feed store next door. I'd wear tracky pants to work and, and a muscle top. I just had no clue about presentation, whatever else. But back then it was okay because that's that was the level, that was the bar. So back to your question, I would say, yeah, we've evolved and I'm really proud of, of and I think part of evolving is being a parent, being a husband, having older parents. So all those things affect the way you act. But I've never ever, until recently, I've never ever really watched anyone else's fishing. And the reason I always did this was because the younger I was, the more impressionable I was. So I felt like if I watched another fishing show 10 years ago, I would have not only mimicked the things that I really liked, but I might have tried to copy things. I might have tried to copy a particular shot, something that was said, because that's the way I think people work. My boy reckons today he can still see features of Rex Hunt and the way I present on television 20 years later. Yeah, right. He, he says, I can see the way you move your hand. He, or he goes, oh, my God, Dad, that was so Rex Hunt. <laughs> I just laugh. So I that was because he put an impression on me at a, at a young age teaching. So I never wanted to, I never, ever wanted to steal another idea. I wanted to be me, and I wanted to be as me as I could be without sounding weird. But now I'm starting to watch other stuff with my boy, and I'm actually really enjoying watching. But most of it's YouTube, so it's so different. It's so raw. Sometimes it drives me insane because we try so hard to make things look perfect. Yep. And my boy's saying, it doesn't need to be perfect, Dad. We just want to see the fish. So I'm learning from him. I'm learning from these YouTubers who are doing a great job. And I reckon it's really, really good because the bigger the mix is, the, the, the more ingredients, the better the outcome becomes for everyone. Yeah, 100%. So then let me, uh, let me throw it back to you. Obviously, do you reckon you've achieved your aim by making your business that draw card where people come to, to your shop to see you? Do you reckon you've achieved that? A thousand percent. And yep. probably one of the proudest moments of my life, and it happened many, many, many times, but I'll, I'll say, because I don't work on the floor anymore, so I used to work seven days a week in that business, every day. Yep. People always say to me, oh, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. But in the early days, I think when I say early days, for the first seven to ten years, I'd do Monday to Friday was eight to six. Thursday to Friday was eight in the morning till nine at night. Saturday and Sunday was 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And the best stretch I did was 185 days straight and then had half a day off and back into it. Like So had a fair crack. So I just talked to a lot of people. And the, the proudest moments were when I had people literally come into the shop and I'd go, how you going? Where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from Cooktown or I'm from, I'll make it closer to town. I was just saying, I'm, I'm from Werribee. It's nice and easy. So oh, it's a long way to come. And he said, oh, this is my brother, Sergio. He's from Slovenia. And he wanted to come and see your shop. And I'm like, what the? And he has seen, this is before YouTube, he has seen Rex Hunt Fishing Adventures or, or iFish on TV in Serbia, watched it, loved it. When he come to Australia, he had to come to my shop and meet me. And I've had people from, I'm going to suggest, 30 to 50 countries around the world, couldn't speak a word of English, come to have a photo with me at my store. And every time that happened, I thought back to that original goal and just went, it's proof that if you actually make a commitment, work towards it, don't give up, you can achieve anything, but you just need time. And most people will have a dream. They will have an idea, a goal, 
And the only reason they don't get there is because at some stage it gets too hard, they give up. Because if they're still alive, that dream's still alive, that goal's still alive. And I've seen them come and go. I've seen everyone is going to be the next big thing. And then they just eventually get, they might get married, they might have kids, they might get a divorce, they might have a car, whatever. But something makes them give up. Yeah. And I'm 48, I haven't given up yet, I'm still going hard. And now I don't even know what the end goal is. Uh, but I just, I just think anyone listening can do whatever they want, but it's a long road. Everyone wants to make a million dollars overnight. You say to someone, you want to be a millionaire, how do you want to do it? I'm going to buy a lotto ticket. Nobody says I'm going to work an extra shift I'm going to do a pizza run for the next 10 years and I'm going to save for deposit for that house across the road because I know in a decade it'll be worth $2 million, not a million. No one ever says that. They want the lotto ticket. And I just think people have to just change their way of thinking. I was actually watching a cool thing on 60 Minutes. I haven't seen 60 Minutes for 10 years. I'll tell you, sorry about the cough, something interesting about 60 Minutes last night. They had 60 Minutes and then they had a special hour of 60 Minutes after with a special. So I said, Christy, the show's called 60 Minutes. It should be called 120 Minutes. What's going on? I watched this little thing about a guy who won $27 million on Tatsalotto because he worked out the system. Did you see this? No, I didn't see it. He worked out a mathematical equation to actually win the lotto. And it wasn't by winning first prize. It was by winning lots and lots and lots of little prizes no one else cared about. Yeah, right. Well, there you and go. Those little, my mum always said, small fish are the sweetest. you just got to keep your eye on the goal. Well, and you're right in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people that say, you know, I'm going to go and do this and then quit halfway through. But it's always those people that stick to it and do the hard yards that get to where they go. No one, I've seen a, um, there was a, a photo of an iceberg. So on top, yep. all you see is is just the, the top of the iceberg, but under the water, there's this massive, massive, massive big iceberg. And there was a saying that went with it, only people see the cream on the top. No one sees all the hard work that went in to build the foundation for it. And, and that's true with everything. It's not just, you know, you with your fishing stuff. It's with everyone in life. If everyone always only sees the success, they don't see all the hard yards and the, and the sleepless hours and the, you know, the, the, the big days and the extra jobs that you're working and all these different things to get to that cream, basically. No, no one sees the blood, sweat, and tears. I'm going to tell you a saying that I heard in the last six months, and I think it's the best saying I've heard for anyone who has actually had a go in life and has achieved something. And it's being successful is like being pregnant. Everybody comes up and says congratulations, but nobody knows how many times you've been. <laughs> yep, uh, I'll go with that. That's and. Pretty and, good. I and, actually like that. And I, I, I don't, I don't swear in public forums. I don't think it's right because kids follow what I do. So I don't swear on Instagram. I just think it's potty. Yeah, yeah. That particular saying that needs to be said because everybody looks at you on that pedestal. No one sees the truth. They just say what they want to see, and that's fine because that's part of the deal. But it's when I when I read that saying, I thought, oh my god, that is so true. So with, with that too, like when you rock up going somewhere fishing and I, and I started to notice it, not by no means to the level that you've got it, but when we're at the boat show, people start to identify with you and want to come up and, you know, you're trying to do something and you've got people coming up saying g'day and we, I, I'd like to think we're really approachable and like I said, we started the podcast and the fishing show and all that sort of stuff to, to help people. 
So I'd like to think that we're approachable, but you're trying to do something and everyone's coming up to you and, and everything like that. So when you're away filming for a show, do you let many people know where you're going or you're sort of trying to get in on the cover of darkness, get it done and then get out or? Yep. So when we go filming, we never, ever kiss and tell before we go because we're there to do a job. Yep. And it is damn hard. Filming television is the toughest job. I mean, I was going to say in the world, that's bullshit. It's the toughest television. you got to go somewhere. you got to meet a bloke or a chick you've never met before in your life and work in their close personal space for a day to a week. You can talk to them and they can literally just look you in the eye and say nothing like this, which has happened many times. Then you got the weather. Then you've got boats and things you have no idea what they're like to actually see them. And then you've got fish that may or may not bite. Like there are so many variables. So we try to just go somewhere. If you let people know too, it becomes hard because let's say you're going to Port Stevens. I did that recently. If people find it, you get 20 DMs on Insta, please come eat at my restaurant. I'd love to give you a free feed. I don't want to be a scab and try and get a free feed. I'm happy to go buy dinner, but then not be obligated to sit there for four hours drinking wine because we're going to get up early in the morning and work. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to like, because you just get thrown all this stuff and it's lovely, but you're literally there to work. So what we'll do, we'll get some runs on the board first because we also want to promote the town. Then we literally, as we're there halfway through, we start to go, hey, Port Steve, bang, this is great. And by the time most people realise that we're there and doing it, we're gone. That's not to avoid people. That is literally so that we can work because quite often a tourism board might have given us some money to help promote the area, to help go towards camera fees or whatever. So if you don't produce the goods, you've let everyone down. Uh, in saying that, in these small towns, we see a lot of people who know who we are. And I can say never once in my life have I ever, ever not taken all the time anyone has ever wanted when they've said g'day. Uh, and the simple reason for that is a couple of things. But number one is my mum always said to me, be very, very nice to people on the way up the ladder because one day you'll be coming back down it and you're going to meet all those people again and you want them to be your friend. And I just thought... That is so true. No one's on top forever. And the other reason is I still see myself as I'm a kid from Cram who likes fishing. That's it. I never, and my job is to actually catch fish and make a TV show. I don't look from the other side and look in and go, oh, you're a TV. Blah, blah, blah. I don't even say the C word. I hate the C word. I never use it. And I'm talking about celebrity. So I don't see myself as that person. If I don't look at myself like that, I, I wouldn't act any differently. So I've never, ever acted any differently. I have no interest in acting differently. And the day I do, I hope my mum slaps me because, well, it's just ain't going to happen. Because when that, the minute I see a change in me, my wife or my boy particularly, I'll be closing the laptop and you won't hear from me again because it's not worth it. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, on, on that, before we get into more of the fishing stuff, but the 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 tackle side of the house have you seen the internet really affect your 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 business so i know that's it's still probably your primary business and correct me if i'm wrong and and doing the tv side of the house brings the business or the work to the business i guess but have you noticed the shift especially with the internet and you know all these people that have got all these deals and all that sort of stuff have you found that really hard i know you've got some really good sponsors with like shimano and and all the all the tackle ranges and things like that but has it affected the business itself so absolutely because every every action has an equal and opposite reaction so 
to take a step back, if you had said five years ago, fishing tackle is your biggest business, you would have been correct, it's not anymore. It literally, for, for, for all the years, fishing tackle was here and like at the top and fishing show was building to try and bring the people to the shops. Yep. Now the fishing show is my number one thing. It is because we go to heaps of countries around the world. Uh, we have some incredible sponsors who we've been with for nearly 20 years. Uh, and we've been, I suppose just longevity has got us to that point. So it's changed a lot, but I suppose we're getting better at what we do. We're getting smarter at what we do. So back to the shops though, they have been affected by the internet in, in, in a, yeah, it's a negative way, but it's actually made me not love them as much. And I hate to say this, but I love those shops. They are like my my wife almost. Like they're just, they're, I've worked there since I was 14. It's been my entire life. You know, I've had two jobs in my life, technically, apart from filming. One was at Kmart, one was at Tackle World Cram in Mornington. So what for me is I never got into fishing tackle to make money. I made money because I love selling fishing tackle. It was sort of like a result. And now it's almost bores me a bit because it, all the fun's gone. Like you want a Teleka, you just go Teleka 50. Like I got a bloke ring, ring, a mate ring me, what's today? How much is it? I got him a phone and there's the price. 399, 399, 399, 399. Like it's boring. That's just it. There's no fun anymore. There's no, there's no, oh, if, I wonder if I go to that, Shop on the corner. I know Dave. I wonder if he's ten bucks cheaper. Hey, Dave, would you would you give me what about some a bit of a deal online? No, nah, mate, because I can tell you now, I got the best price. It's three nine nine. See, I've matched Joe, Fred, Bob. All the joy's gone out of it, and yeah. and you're literally just buying and selling shit. I can buy and sell anything. I want to sell fishing tackle. I want to I want to explain to someone why, in my opinion, a Talica fifty is a far superior reel to a Tiagra fifty wide because of all sorts of reasons, but if you can't afford a Telica 50 at 400 bucks, I'm going to explain to you why a Tiagra 50 is better than a 50 wide LRS, even though it's cheaper because your line's going to sit over your, your center of gravity, your base support. You can run braid as backing, so you've got the same capacity. It weighs less. It's going to be easier to use. All that's gone. People yep. just buy the one that their mate said was okay, or they do a Google review, and some bloke who's never used one convinces them that it's the best reel in the world because he he listens to another bloke who's never used one and two blokes who thought they picked one up once told him. So it's, you've just lost all of that, that the art of selling fishing, the art of understanding fishing tackle. I've got staff work for me, and I'm not, I shouldn't probably say this, but I don't reckon they would know the difference between a fast, medium, and a slow taper rod. And I'm not being rude, but you might not know the difference. And these are things I was taught as a kid, like – like the, the backbone, how to find the backbone on a fishing rod. Do you know how to do that? No, I don't actually. So, and, and don't be embarrassed because there'd be like one and a, you, you put it between the heel of your foot. So it's round, you put the butt between the heel and you're holding your hand, you roll the tip and the blank will always flick to a certain point. That's yeah, the okay. backbone. That's the backbone of the blank and the way they pulled it out of the mandrel when it was sitting there because you and yeah. it's got it's got a spine like we do. Yep. So you should always put the guides on the spine of the rod or so in relation so that it doesn't try to twist out of your hands when you and this had never been done. And it wasn't until John Dunphy built the Shimano Backbone series, which was a range of medium price rods about 15 years ago, that people actually realized what a backbone even was. And, and now I don't think they don't do backbones anymore. So, people, so there's all these little things. And if you're buying a rod and reel off the internet, how are you ever going to learn this stuff? Never. Not. 
all you're learning is a code, how many bearings, air shield, blah, 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 Hagani gears, here's the price. It's all price. And everyone judges this reel's $40 better than that one. This reel's, it, it, we've lost, we've lost, and that's what I'm scared for kids. They're not going to understand what's real about fishing. And, and, and tonight I was, fly, I was fly fishing with my boy about an hour or two hours ago. And he was pushing. He said, what are you doing? What am I doing wrong, Dad? And I said, can you hear that noise? And you know when you push a stick through the air really quick, you hear. Yep. I said, if you can hear the noise, you're going too quick. Listen. listen. And, he, and he slowed it down to a point where he couldn't hear the noise and he started casting beautifully. Again, you go to a fly fishing shop and buy a, a Sage or an Orvis or a Loomis, they'll tell you that. You buy it off the internet, who's telling you? You're right. And. I think, well, hand in hand with that though, is fishing clubs and things like that. So I, I was really lucky with with Dad, who who got me into fishing and and introduced me to the sport, I guess. And and he started one of the local fishing clubs down home because he's passionate about it and got us into it. And we we had the beauty of learning all that sort of stuff. And you're right, the internet's taken a lot of that away, especially for sales. It. it even now, I prefer walking into a tackle shop and saying g'day to whoever's behind the counter and just going, oh, yeah, what lure's working here or what's what's the best? That's the information that you're not going to get on the on the internet at all. It's gone. And, and what's sad, it's going to happen. Tackle stores like mine will not exist in the near to not so near future because you got it's just a fact of life. You've got two things happening. You've got box stores. So your box stores, your BCFs, your anacondas, all those sort of things, they, they're selling over 50% of fishing tackle in Australia now. Once you hit that tipping point, the small stores, Bob's Bait and Tackle, John's Bait and Tackle, they all just start to get smaller and smaller and smaller because they lose the internet. They're losing, they just lose. And in the end, you can't afford to run a business because you only make so much money in margin. And if you're only making, if you're making a smaller and smaller margin and then your electricity is doubling, your wages just went up 5% again. Superannuation has gone to 12%. All your costs are going up every day. Whilst they're going up, your turnover is reducing, your profit is reducing, your net profit. Your, the end is in sight. Yeah. And you'll have to be damn good, damn good to survive. Like there'll be a few, but, but we're actually killing the traditional tackle shop without knowing it through the end. And it's just, it's the way it is. We're becoming Americanized. That's the way they run over there. Big box stores, big Bass Pros. It, it's just the way it is. But it's sad. Go and enjoy good tackle stores while you can. Yeah, and like I said, I enjoy the tackle stores. Jackie hates it. We walk into a tackle shop and she sits in the car and she's like, all right, I'll put on a, a podcast or something because I know you're going to be in here for an hour. I'm like, no, no, I'll just be 10 minutes. I'm ducking in to get something. And then an hour later, I walk out with a handful of stuff and everything. She's like, oh, shaking her head. But the, the tackle shops are, you know, like I said, I, I really, as a fisherman, I enjoy going into a tackle shop. You get to touch, you get to feel, you get that face-to-face -face communication. You can ask those questions. If someone's learning something, you know, I, I want to learn a new knot. Yeah, I can jump on YouTube and have a look at it. But for me, getting the hands-on and, you know, having that one-on-one -on -one is, is what makes it so it's it's a bit of a shame that you know someone like you that's in the industry is saying that that's how it's going to end up so it's a, a bit of an eye-opener for everyone listening out there that you know you need to support your local tackle shops because they're not going to last forever and i don't want to be doom and gloom and, I, and it could be 10 years but i just 
I've seen it slowly happening over the past decade. And uh, it, it does sad me because that's all we ever knew. Go on to your local tackle store. It's amazing. So um, all right, we'll, we'll get away from the tackle shops and stuff, get into the, the nuts and bolts of, of the fishing. Number one catch. If you, if you had to put that fish on a pedestal, what fish is it and why? I have to ask, do you have kids? No, I don't have kids. So if you have kids, you'll understand how difficult this is to answer. It's like someone's got two kids. And you ask which is the favourite? Yeah, see, I'd give you the it's answer straight up. I got, I got two dogs, and I can give you the. Yeah, which is the favourite? Yeah, scout, hands down. <laughs> Don't let the other one hear, Jeepers! Ah, be right. You know what? It's the toughest question. And I'll, there's a hundred, right? And that's what. I, and I'm going to tell you one, and then I'm going to go. Oh, but the, like, there's been so many amazing fish, and not necessarily the biggest fish or the strongest fish or whatever. But you got an easier question. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hit you with a few, and I'm, I'll do them real quick so I don't bore you. I caught my first thousand pound black marlin on the 16th of October with Timmy with, Dean. Seen that? With Timmy Dean. I think it was I think it was like 20. I'm gonna say 12. And I'd already done uh, a week up there. Had the worst trip of my life for a hunt. The boat broke down. Everything just turned pear shape, and got not a bite. Went back up. Timmy Dean rang me and said, "Hey, come." We went. It was a glass out, 10.30 a.m. I'd had a little nana nap on the couch at the boat. We'd caught 20-pound Spanish mackerel that morning. I got up off the couch, did a massive big yawn, stretch, and said, it's about time I caught myself a 1,000-pound mile and up it come. I saw it eat the bait. It was glass out. I nearly vomited catching it, but it was just like one of those things that I just – was my climbing Everest, I suppose. Amazing. And Timmy Dean's a legend. I actually lived to tell the tale because I kissed Timmy Dean. I see that. People to this day still don't believe that I kissed Timmy Dean and lived to tell the tale. Tim's a legend. Um, another one that has to go up there, I went to Greymouth, New Zealand to catch a big tuna. And we were doing it for some scientific reasons. They wanted to know about the Fukushima earthquake, radiation, all this sort of stuff. So we fished for 37 hours. I was sitting in the chair for 37 hours without a bite. And I don't drink energy drinks anymore, but I'm happy to admit I had about 10 Red Bulls. Uh, all sorts of other stuff, coffee, just to get you like 37 hours sitting there. And my producer came up and said, Paul, what's plan B? I said, there is no plan B. And we had like 10 hours to go. And we, I won't go into it, but we literally changed everything we were doing. We sewed, we sewed styrofoam into the bait to give it a more natural sink. We did the hook. We did also, and first drop after we did this, we saw the tuna on the sound, like we could tuna, bang, we got in. Two hours later, that fish was 2.77 metres long, metre 77 round. And for a week, it was probably the most famous fish in the world. Um, it was on CNN in the States. I had to go to Singapore for a Shimano thing that week. I did live crosses to Australian television from Singapore. People, I know a lot of people in Holland and Europe, they were texting me, couldn't believe. Like this fish just went everywhere. So that, that was amazing because I just saw the power of the media when someone gets onto something, how yeah. it can spiral. So that was pretty epic. And then probably the other most incredible fish, I'll only give you three, because I'm a boy, yeah? but when I was, it was 1994, so I was 21 years of age. I found the plaque today. I went out fishing with my dad and my brother in a shark comp. And it was my dad bought a boat because he wanted to have a boat and try fishing because he'd never done it. So we went out and I hooked this fish and it came up and it was the biggest mango shark I'd ever seen in my life. Broke me off. I put a bait back in and ended up after two hours catching it. And... It was a freak. It was 275 kilos. 
I was using 25 pound line and a 50 cent hook. I bought at Kmart when I worked there. And it was an Australian record, a triple A Australian. And, and that fish is the fish that probably catalyst or catapulted me into what I'm doing today because my dad said to me, I was going to uni at the time, he said to me, write it all down, what happened, because it was so amazing. And one day you'll be an old bloke like me and you'll want to be able to read it to remember how exactly as it happened. So in my lunch break at uni, I went to the uh, library and I wrote word for word what happened, like a story. And then once I'd written it, I thought this doesn't read too, read too bad. And I sent it and some photos to Modern Fishing. It was my first ever fishing article I got published. And yeah, I still right. got that article. And that was probably, and that fish, its head is still on the wall at Tackleville Crammer. But that was like, my first, my biggest fish to that moment was about 10 pounds. And that fish was 605 pounds. It just went bang. And it just, it definitely gave me this massive leap. I was on radio and doing stuff. And to me, that was really special because never deserved to catch that fish. Shouldn't have caught that fish. I did catch that fish. So it's pretty bloody special. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, then I'll throw another hard question at you. Salt water over fresh water. My son asks me this all the time. So if I, if I could only do one forever again, I think it would be salt just because it is so vast and the oceans are so big and I love so many facets. But as I get older, I want to spend less time on the shelf in big seas and more time catching massive King George whiting and, and big calamari and snapper and jigging, whatever. But when it can't, how do I put it? I think freshwater fishing is more romantic. If you're trying to explain to someone what fishing is, it's freshwater fishing. It's, it's navigating the stream. It's working out the trout's feeding on. It's casting a fly and deceiving a fish that can see the tiniest little difference in anything or catching a Murray caught up a stream where, where a cow has just literally crapped itself and you can smell that fresh cow shit, which I grew up on a farm, that makes me feel like I'm in the country. And that, to me, feels like fishing. And that sounds weird, but saltwater fishing is, I love it. But I find with fishing, it's not so much about what I'm doing or what I'm targeting. People say, what's your favourite fish to target? And a dead set is whatever I'm targeting in that moment. Like, if I'm trying to catch a yellow eye mullet off the jetty at Williamstown and I've got Burley out and I'm watching a float, I'm as locked into that as I am trying to catch a grander off the reef. That is my mission and I want to be good at it and I want to enjoy it. So that's why I love fishing so much. You're never going to get bored. Like you're going to get mullet one day, trout the next, marlin the next. So this, and then, then I can catch the mullet on fly. I can catch it on a lure. I can catch it on bait, a float, a sink. So that's the diversity that I just love. Then you bring in the places you go. Then you bring in the people you meet. And it's a bloody epic ride. It is. That, that probably segues pretty well into it. So obviously Jed's coming of age now. We've been lucky enough to, to see him grow throughout the iFish series and, and see Christy getting involved and all that sort of stuff. So as a, as a family sport, it really fosters and promotes that as well, which fishing really is you know you can you can have the full spectrum of walking a stream by yourself or being out on the ocean on a game boat with six or seven other people or, or whatever so there's all that that different aspect to it where's your uh what what's jed's sort of where's his pinnacle fish at the moment and as a father what's the the one fish you really want to see him get before before you know anything happens 
Jesus Christ. So I just I, I think I'll correct something. My my boy is Jet J E T, like a plane. Yeah. And it's funny because I also he often gets called Jeff. Okay. Because when you say Jet, we always say it, and when he introduced himself when he's a babe or kitty, he, he said, I'm Jet, like a plane. And I'll tell you a funny story. The reason he got his name was because we did IVF for four years. And I had to give my wife this horrible injection called Clexane. Now, if you know much about it, no, it's a blood thinner and it stings like you would not believe. So imagine having to inject your wife, which has got like a basketball stomach, no spare skin, and you have to put a needle in that and give her this sting. So I was the only person in the world she trusted. So she flew all around the country doing eye fish for a year or nine months, just so I could give her an injection every morning, every night. And she'd stay in the crummiest places, couldn't go on the boat because we were out working all day, bored out of her brain, just like, so when it came time to find a name for our boy, it was Jet, because we figured out he'd flown on that many planes in uterine that there was no other choice. So that's that's where the plane came from. What does my boy want to catch? Everything. Punch me in the face. Oh, my God. He never lets me rest. I've fished with him. This is every night this week after school we fished. Yeah, nice. He's at footy, he's at footy training now. We, we went down the creek just before I made a fly out of a bit of rubber from a thong and we caught six beautiful tiger trout to about six pound on fly. The night before we were catching big brim, the night before that he was catching pinky snapper and brim and he tried to get me to go and do that tonight but we didn't have time. Like he just loves it to the next level. The fish he wants to catch at the moment, like today because it changes, today he wants to catch a 100 kilo bluefin tuna. He's just, and I understand why, because he just likes big, exciting things. He wants, he's caught a swordfish. He wants to catch a big one. I took him, we went swordfishing in Taz a few months ago. We hooked Swordzilla. After four hours, I made him put the rod down because it nearly killed him. And then we tried to break it off. Couldn't break the fish off. And after another hour, we snapped a 37 kilo rod in half. Yeah, this, right. this fish was unstoppable. It was just scary next level. So did you end up getting it? No, it was hard heartbreaking so for the last hour of the fight i put the rod in the gunnel i locked the drag up by backing the clutch back tightening the can full strike sunset two gloves on the reel and we drove the boat at 15 kilometers an hour and the fish tracked below the boat so the line was straight up and down for half an hour and we just looked we were like if we hooked the bottom here like and then it took 150 meters of line like there was no drag at all we were just trying to break this line because it was pitch black and wanted to go home. I started winching. I've, I've got a lot of this on film, winching. And eventually I saw the lights flashing from this fish. And I said, it's just there. And I was trying all I could to break the line. And it was so directly under the boat that it literally came about a foot towards the boat. And the 37 kilo rod just went bang and exploded. Luckily I had two gloves on because it still cut my fingers. And the line broke and thank God the fish disappeared. Because it was scary big. Like, okay. It, it bent the rod hold on the side of my boat as well. Like, it was scary big. And I've caught swordfish that I reckon were over 400 kilos. Scary fish. So, that's one of his goals to get a decent one of them. But he's caught them, luckily enough. But I think I'd say the tuna for now. But the great thing about being a kid, everything's new and exciting. And he just wants to go and do it all right now. And I keep saying, like, he's just turned 15. Technically, when I was his age, I six months ago, I had I'd probably not caught a fish in my life. I looked back and thought maybe a couple of mullet, but he's done all this before I even turned my first reel. Yeah. So I keep saying, you're doing okay, mate. 
you're going to be fine. Just let it come. So I'm trying to teach him that as well, that the harder he's got to work for things, the more he's going to enjoy when it finally comes along. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the bluefin run at the moment down on the South Coast have been awesome. You know, the barrels, the barrels have been firing left, right and centre down at Portland. I know Port Mac had a massive run of them for, for a long time. Portland's starting to get them now. The tuna comp that we just had down at Apollo Bay, I think there were six, six tuna over 100 kilos weighed and stuff down there and caught. So, I mean, now, as you'd know, I mean, you're probably way more plugged in than, than what we are, but the, now's the opportunity for him to, to go and so get I'll that. Ta- I'll tell you my problem. He goes to school five days a week. He works at, he works at Tackle World mornings and all day Saturday and plays football on a Sunday. Like yeah, I literally run out of time. I, I literally, I, I knew exactly where those big tuna were at Port Mac for two weeks and all my mates were going and just getting four away. Like just, it was just lay down as air. They were offering to take me and just couldn't go. Like, so this will be his last year of football because he's had enough. I don't, I think he's going to hang up the gloves for cricket as well. And if I'm a good dad, I might give him the odd Saturday off work. We just <laughs> need, we just need that time to go and do it properly. And I, it's a big decision, but I've decided that, well, he, he's decided that sport's getting in the way. So I want to go and do these things with my boy because to me that's more important. Like their memories I'll never get back. And yep. I want him to go fishing with other people in the fishing industry who are good people to learn more about fishing. I want him to go with, I've got this wonderful pool of awesome people who are very good at fishing. I want him to go with them for the day, wash the boat, Make some read, just learn the whole gamut because that'll make him a better fisher than just going with his dad all the time. So, yeah, it's going to happen very, very soon. Just need the footy season to finish. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, so boats, you've got got two at the moment, pros and cons. Did you actually get involved with the, the design and the build of your current boat or did you just walk in, boat show sort of thing, go, no, nah, this is what I want, off the shelf, let's roll, and then tweak it for the, the Wurzling set up or you know was this something that you'd, you'd had in the back of your your mind for a while and and really sort of targeted and went after so take the story back a step i was with stavy craft for over a decade yep yep and and i actually thought they're pretty good boats i'll, I'll be honest I thought that and i loved them and i was going down to invercargill new zealand which is where they're built and i literally called them and said hey guys can i come to the factory and do some filming next month i'm going to be 50 k's away but he goes, oh, yeah, this is awkward. See you later. And pulled the pin on me. It's all over. Thanks very much. They wanted to spend some more money in the US. That's where they thought the dollars were. And after 10 years or, or longer, said, see ya, gone. So yeah. that's interesting. So that happens. It's a commercial venture, and, and I respect that, but that's where it all happened. Most people would tell you that I went to another brand for more money and I shafted Stabycraft, but that's the way. That's that. That's that. Yeah, what we spoke about at the start. That's saying I was saying earlier, yeah. So I started to research. And what I did, I started looking at, which was really exciting because I could then have any boat I wanted. This is fun. So did a lot of research. I, I wanted to stick with aluminium because I tow boats a long way at times. And I wanted that weight for age thing where I could have a boat that only weighed four ton, but it was as big as an eight ton fiberglass or twice the size of an eight ton fiberglass boat. So I know there's no such thing as a perfect boat. And yes, fiberglass boats will ride better, but they weigh twice as much. So you got So I wanted to go. And then I saw a few mates of mine, and particularly a young girl called Nikki over in New Zealand as a fishing show. And she was running extremes. 
and she'd been with Stavycraft. So I thought, you know, I'm going to ring Nikki and I'm going to ask her what the deal is. Yep. I think her show was called Ados Addicted to Fishing. So I rang Nikki. I said, what's the deal? And she said, oh, my God, Paul, having been in your situation, was with Stavycraft. Now I've got this boat, chalk and cheese. And she just blew me away, told me stuff because I knew pros and cons. And you can never really talk too much about the cons because we like we like going to a party and telling everyone the bad things your missus does. Not that our wives would ever do it, but you know what I mean? Like you just... Yep. So I literally listened to her, listened, and I, so I contacted Extreme and they just were the most incredible people ever, like next level. And they said, we'd like to talk to you, but we don't want to even have you think about getting one of our boats until you've come and ridden in one. So I jumped on a plane. I went to New Zealand. I had to stay overnight at the airport, fly out to Fakatani, which is the name of the place I live in. So it was a three-day trip to be at the, at the office for four hours. And I took a 795 Game King out in rough weather and went, wow. Then we quickly drove back to an inlet and jumped in a 605 center console. Wow. Then went back to the factory and saw how they built them all. And every step of it was just like amazing, 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 amazing. I don't know why, but I remember there was a saying on the wall at Extreme Boats. And it's a classic saying. and It goes something like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. Yep. And I just thought, we've all heard it. But that day, it really resonated with me again. I went, you know what? That's pretty cool. And these people are doing something different. And they, so I had to look at all, and I had to quickly choose if I was going to go this way, what boat I might go for. And I had my, my heart set on a 795 center console. And I just said, I was literally walking out the door. I said, give me one minute. I need to go to the toilet. I ran back into the factory and I just went to the toilet and quickly raced and jumped in a 795 Game King and went, this is the boat. I love this boat. So ordered the boat, got delivered. I literally, when I saw it for the first time in the flesh, I dead set, nearly peed my pants. I just thought, this thing is wild. It's too big. What have I done? It took me time to get used to it. I was terrified of it. It was so, it's the same length as the Stavey pretty much, but it's 50 centimetres wider, and that's a lot of boat. Come drive so, a mate, then you'll know why. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely terrified of that. So literally, anyway, I got over all the negatives, which are just learning curves. I, went near, I was scared yep. and just love that boat so much. And everywhere it goes, everybody says, that is the sexiest, horniest, best-looking trailer boat I've ever seen. It is beautiful. The welds, it's finished like you would imagine a Rolls-Royce is finished. Everything is perfect. So then I still had a, my baby Stavy, which my wife refused to go in because if you turn left at Lake Eildon on a glass cow day, you got wet. It was just a wet boat. Like So she refused to go in it. So... I rang Extreme and said, look, I want to get rid of this thing because I'm sending mixed messages here. I said, no problems, we'll help you out. So I went and looked at their boats and I found this 605. I'd already been the 605, but I just had to go see it again. And I said, guys, it's no good. It needs the front and anchor well. It needs this platform. And they had no idea what I was talking about, that I wanted a casting platform. Yep. And they said, no, we won't change. We don't I said, boys, I'm not. And we argued nicely. If we do this for you, everyone's going to want one. I said, yeah, but it... Trust me. Anyway, they built it for me. They put a stand-up bar on it. They did it all. And they said, oh, you know what? This actually came out pretty good. I said, hello. I got the boat. 12 months later, they won boat of the year at the Auckland Boat Show with a 650 with a flat casting deck on the front that I designed unwillingly. 
now now they put an esky in it. It's and it, and they now they go. Why didn't we think of this before? But over there, they don't have broom fishermen. They don't have people. They don't stand in the bow like we. It's all. It's like that part of it's gone. Now they're starting to do it. Now yep. they see the, and now they're producing these boats with these casting decks. So my little, I say my little, but my six oh five, which is huge, that is a gunboat. I take that to Eel cod fishing, trout fishing with the family. I've been offshore here casting off the bow, catching bluefin tuna. It's just if I can only own one boat, that'd be it. It will do. It'll do. Everything now. There's no such thing as one boat. Otherwise, people would only own one golf club, and all the golf shops would go broke too. But as one boat goes, I can go to the shelf sword fishing it, not a problem. On my day, I can get all my big tuna out of it, not a problem. I can snap a fish in the bay, perfect. I can walk around, great whiting boat, easy to move around maneuver. I can cod fish because I've got the electric. I've done that as well. I can trout fish troll. I can troll at Lake Eel on the electric, and then I use the actual outboard to steer so i can stand facing my, my rods and steer with my bum basically uh, there's nothing i won't do it is awesome and and my trailers if people want to jump online look at some photos the trailers are going to those boats they are like they're pieces of art it's the only time i've owned a boat where people have come up and gone my god look at that trailer i'm like dude get your eyes up off the road but the trailers are so unbelievable they're actually built to fit the boats yeah, okay. They get a 3D model of the boat and they build the trail. They mould it around the bottom. And I, I asked them for an extension on the small boat, which they'd never done before. And they come up with a 1.8 metre extendable drawbar that slides inside the other drawbar. All the leads are on springs and so they all move in and out. And you just all you do is pull a thing out, drive it out, pop it, and you've got 1.8 metre extension. Like they are works of art. I actually walked into my shed today to, to grab a drill and I still like the guy in the colour bond ad. I just stood there staring at these boats going, they are nice boats. And I've just ordered, and no one knows this, but I'll share it with you. I just ordered a brand new 795 Game King, which is due in January. Enclosed or open? No, op- open again. I, I like, I'm a bit claustrophobic. I like open. Um, and the only reason I did it when I ordered the first boat, yes, I love it, but I had to pick everything off diagrams how do you want this what size bait like oh, i haven't fished in one yeah we're about to put the bait board on paul do you want 600 I'm like oh, how hot? like unless you, you don't know so i've literally fished for two years out of this boat i love this boat but now i've made a few modifications that are going to make it even more epic suited to my style of fishing what i do yep. so it's going to be next level like i'll put two live bait tanks in for instance because as a victorian we use our life tanks for storing fish and for live bait. So I can now, for instance, I want to go kingy fishing, keep slimies in one tank and squid in the other. The squid always kill the slimies. Yeah. Little things, or I can keep my whiting in one tank and my squid in the other so I can then use squid for live baits. And then I can, like, it's just so many little things like that that I'm so excited to get this new boat. And it's going to look identical. It's going to be the same. I'm going from twin 200 Suzuki's to twin 250s just because... You can never have too much power. And I prefer to run 250s at three-quarter pace than run 200s at 80% pace. Like, it's good to not overwork your engines. Uh, and I just want a little bit of a change, but I'm so excited. And that, that I won't say it's my forever boat, but I'll hope for a long time. You don't, you don't say things like that when the wife's listening because she'll no. – like, that's she's a forever not, boat, yeah. She's, she's, not, she's not listening. It's fine. <laughs> so when, when are you due to take delivery of that bad boy? If all goes well, it'll arrive in January. 
And obviously fit-outs take quite a while. It can take a month to figure it out with all the gear and whatever else. So hopefully uh, when it comes to filming next season, it'll make an appearance and I'll start to do some work in it. So sounder-wise, what, what are we going with? So at this stage, I'm running all Humminbird yep. and will we'll be the same because uh, it's taken me two years, but the longer you use this stuff, the better you get. Actually, it's taken me four years I'm learning. But so no, it's good. It's it's great stuff. I've, I just did some deep water fishing down in Tassie, fishing 580 metres of water. And one thing a lot of people say is, oh, Humminbird's for freshwater. Huh? That's just a lie. I'm sounding fish and bottom in 580 metres of water. I sounded raised brim at 300 metres, told my boy to bring his sinker up off the bottom with the electric. He stopped at 300, tap, 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 brought up a raised brim. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Technology is definitely out there. It's just us mere, mere mortals that need to learn how to use it. I am so hopeless. My fault, not the technologies. No, awesome, mate. Well, look, I don't want to, I really do appreciate you jumping on the podcast. It's been awesome having you on the show. You know, I'd love to get you on for a second time somewhere down the track and see, reminisce on this podcast and see what else has changed and actually get your feedback on the new boat and see if you're still in love with it, which I'm sure you're going to be, but also get Jet on the podcast as well and have a chat to him. I mean, he's definitely going to be a, an, or he's, he is an up and coming star, no doubt about it. And seeing where he's at and what his sort of plans are would be interesting to see as well. I'm sure the listeners would be really keen to get you on the show again, mate. So I really do appreciate you taking time out of your night and jumping on the podcast. No, Drew, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope it didn't waffle too much. And uh, I wouldn't mind listening to Jet's podcast either because, man, you're 15, mate. You got some big dreams. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. They all have, you have to start somewhere. That's exactly right. Cheers.